Mike Gibson, Usman Babar, coming to you live from Sky 2017. Usman, you've uh, now presented uh, some of the data from Bravo 3. Let's talk about atrial fibrillation in the patient with TAVR in the optimal management strategy. Tell us a little bit about Bravo 3. Absolutely, Dr. Gibson. It's a pleasure to be here. So the paper that uh, we presented earlier was a post-talk analysis from the Bravo 3 randomized trial. This is a trial led by uh, Dr. Dangus. It was a trial of high-risk transfemoral TAVR patients. 802 patients were enrolled. These were centers in Europe and in North America. And the salient question of the Bravo trial was whether or not a paraprocedural anticoagulation with bivalorudin would be superior to standard unfractionated heparin. Again, these were high-risk patients. Um, this is all transfemoral. Um, the primary results of the Bravo trial, uh, which were presented um, and have been published, uh, were negative for the primary endpoint of major bleeding at 48 hours, so no advantage to bival compared with heparin at, at, at um, 30 days major bleeding. And the second co-primary endpoint was NACE. Uh, MI death stroke or major bleeding and there was no advantage to that as well. Mm -hmm. So that was the overall primary results of the Bravo uh, 3 trial and in this paper what we wanted to do is dive a little bit deeper into the data and get some more insight into um, the patients who had atrial fibrillation in the Bravo 3 trial, understand their profile, understand the risk after AF and whether or not bivalorin would yield some differential outcomes in, in those patients. And to, to your question about antithrombotic strategy, I think that is sort of a great question because it's an evidence-free zone and I don't have to tell you who's done so much work in this space, but certainly um, what we examined and one of the key insights that we found that we thought was quite interesting um, in the about uh, 330 patients who had atrial fibrillation in our, in our analysis, the vast majority of them met classical criteria for anticoagulation. The vast majority of them had CHADS2 vascularism of at least two, which by evidence-based guidelines is a requirement for anticoagulation. Nevertheless, when we examine how physicians were treating them, and this was not prescribed by the protocol, right. clinicians were free to do what they wanted, 30% actually went home on DAPT, no anticoagulation. Do you know why, I mean, with the CHADS score of two, why people went home with... So I think some, some of the earlier work that we and, we and others have done to try to explore the decision-making apparatus at this mm -hmm. time point, I think boils down to perhaps two things. Number one is certainly the concordance between thrombotic and bleeding risk. So you have a convergence, um, an overlap, and so a lot of your high thrombotic risk patients by the CHADS algorithm are also going to be at high bleeding risk. That then makes decision-making difficult, and I think by default clinicians will tend to avoid prescription of therapies that might yield harm, even if it means potentially depriving patients with benefit. I don't have proof of that, but that's my speculation. So do no harm, is this asymmetric warfare between do no harm and risk-benefit? Completely agree, yeah. completely yeah. agree. But then on the other hand, 60-some uh, percent were on anti you're, you're absolutely right. And, and what were those? How did and they it, it was really interesting, so again, we just collected this, and what mm -hmm. we found is, um, yes, about 60-some-odd, 63, 64 percent did go home on an anticoagulant. <clears throat> the most common combination was um, an anticoagulant with aspirin alone. Second most common, about 20%, was a, uh, a P2Y12 inhibitor with anticoagulant alone. So using sort of the um, single strategy um, of antiplatelet with one anticoagulant and a minority, about 10 or 11% did go home on triple therapy. Mm -hmm. So clearly clinicians are making their own decisions with respect to the potency of the antiplatelet agent and the anticoagulant if they deem um, the patient can, can um, withstand an anticoagulant. You know, the slide I always show, Usman, is the 2.2 million permutations. And as yeah, I always exactly. say, we will do all 2.2 million permutations in clinical agree. practice. Yes, yeah. I completely agree. Interesting. And uh, did, 
AFib confirm more risk in these people? Yes, and, and you know there are several studies to date from partner data and other registries that have shown increased risk with AF. Our results uh, were largely consistent with that. Now about 40% uh, of the uh, patients in the Bravo 3 trial did have atrial fibrillation. This is either AFib at the time of TAVR um, and a smaller number, about 5% developed TAVR, uh, I'm sorry, developed AFib after TAVR. So we combined both of those groups um, into one AF group. We did find numerically higher rates of adverse events. Now we did not get statistical significance. I think that's kind of missing the forest from the trees. That's just an issue of small numbers. And when we looked specifically at the patients who had new onset AF, that small group of patients, they were at profoundly higher risk, fourfold higher risk actually for um, adverse outcomes, including stroke compared to their counterparts without AF. Again, that has been highlighted um, by, by several other investigators, who I think points to the real uh, morbid uh, profile of those patients. And one of the, I think, interesting questions is whether or not that's causal whether or not the new onset AF is causally related to the excess risk, or is this simply a marker that has to do with right. procedural or other hemodynamics. Or LV dysfunction, or causing LV LA dysfunction. stretch, causing AFib. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of what we saw in the STEMI setting. AFib patients always had worse outcomes, but probably as a reflector of new onset heart failure. Right. Yeah. All right, well, we learned a lot uh, here in Bravo 3. Congratulations. Absolutely. And Thank look you. forward to more lessons from that study. Thanks, Usman, for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Gibson. And thanks to all of you out there joining us here from Sky 2017.